Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you again. Trust you're doing well. You know, I was remembering through the week uh, a book that I read many years ago. I had to read this particular book when I first began my studies. It was called uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It was all about uh, how to work with people, how to get people onto your side and to, uh, to do the things you need them to do in a way that makes them feel good about doing it. And in that book, there's a whole chapter focused on the importance of knowing people's names. It makes the point several times through the chapter that for all of us, the sweetest sound that we can ever hear is the sound of our own name, someone using our name. When you know someone's name, you know something about them, you know something about who they are, and the sound of your name has encapsulated in it everything that there is about you. In the book, uh, the writer tells a story about a, a guy named Ken Nottingham. He used to work for General Motors and he tells the story of uh, going to lunch at the company cafeteria and he noticed that the woman serving in the cafeteria was always frowning and scowling and she'd uh, carefully measure out the ingredients for a sandwich and she'd put it together and uh, gruffly hand over the sandwich. But the next day when Ken came to get lunch, he noticed the woman's name tag. And uh, so he called her by name and said, good morning and called her by name. And uh, with that, she brightened up and instead of measuring out the ingredients for his sandwich, exactly the same sandwich, she piled things on there and gave him much more than normal and did it with a smile and was happy to serve him. It's all because he used her name. Years and years ago, I remember my first overseas trip uh, it was all the way to Europe. It was a long trip in those days. The planes were a lot slower than they are today. And uh, it seemed to take forever to get there. And when I arrived there, I had no idea where I had to go. So uh, I got into a taxi. I gave the taxi driver the address and off he went. And he could have been taking me on a round the world tour for all I knew. We seemed to drive forever. Uh, no idea where we were going. And then we pull up outside a building and he says, this is it. And I said, what's it? And he says, this is the address. And I said, are you sure? Yes, he said, this is the address. So I paid for the ride and just as I was getting out, somebody opened the front door to the building and stepped outside and saw me and said, you must be Colin. And with that, I felt like I was home. I'd arrived. Now, I didn't know that person and they didn't know me. They'd seen a photo of me and they knew my name. But it was good to hear my name called in a strange place to know that someone there knew who I was. The sound of your own name is the sweetest sound that you can hear. It's a sense of validity in, in uh, people knowing our name. It's, it gives us the sense of being worthwhile. Well, did you know that God knows your name? Did you know that? God knows your name. I want to read one verse for you from Isaiah chapter 43. This is verse 1. And it says this, But now this is what the Lord says. 
He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You know, that was written a long time ago and it was written specifically with the people of Israel in mind, but it was written for us. And what he says to Israel, he's also saying to us. And it says there that he knows us by name, he calls us by name. And this is not just general knowledge. Like, you know the prime minister's name, but you don't know anything else about him, for example. General knowledge. This is not what this passage means. When, God, when it says that God calls us by name, it's referring to intimate knowledge of who we are. Jesus says, for example, that uh, God knows us intimately. He says, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Now, I can't count the hairs on my head. There's less there now than there used to be. But God knows every single one of them. That means he knows me intimately. The Apostle Paul in, in Ephesians says this, he says, God chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus. Even before the world was created, God knew you and he knew me. And he knew everything about you. He knew your name. He knew what you were going to be like. He knew everything about you. And even before the world was created, God chose you. You ever thought about that? God who knows every star by name. God who knows every plant in the forest. God who knows every animal that's ever lived on the earth. God who knows your name has chosen you. Think about that. You might be one of those people that feels like nobody's ever bothered to choose me. Who would bother choosing me? Well, God's chosen you. God knows your name and he's chosen you. In the book of Hebrews, we've been looking at this verse over the last few weeks. In chapter 12, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Do you know what that joy was that Jesus had set before him? It was you and me. It was knowing that you've been chosen in him, knowing that you are part of his family, knowing that you're going to be with him through eternity as you follow him. It's the idea that Jesus was doing what he was doing for you and for me. God knows your name. And God knows everything that there is about you. Well, what does that really mean? What does it mean when we say that God knows our name? I want to do something uh, that might be a little bit unusual. I want to look at three very short passages from the New Testament, from the book of John, actually. And I want to show you just a few things of what it means when we say that God knows your name. The first little passage I want to look at comes from John chapter 4. This is the story of Jesus meeting a woman who's come to a well to draw water from the well, obviously to bring water to the family or to, to water the animals or whatever. But Jesus 
on a journey, resting beside a well, meets this woman, and this woman uh, is a Samaritan woman. Now, there's one thing you need to know about Samaritans. Jesus being a Jew, uh, and this woman being a Samaritan, in Jesus' day, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Now, of course, Jesus didn't hate anyone, but it was unusual for a Jew to speak to a Samaritan. But Jesus strikes up a conversation with this woman. And at one point in this little story, the woman said to him, Sir, Jesus had just offered this woman living water, is speaking of eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to the well to draw water. Then Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come back. The woman replied, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is true. A little bit later on in the story, the woman goes back to the town and calls all of the people in the town to come out and meet Jesus. And it says later on in the story, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony when she said, he told me all the things I've ever done. Now that's the first thing I want to say that about the fact that Jesus knows your name or God knows your name. He knows everything you've ever done. Do you ever think about that? When God knew you before the creation of the world and knew your name, he also knew everything you would ever do. And right now at this point in your life, God knows everything you've ever done. Jesus knows your name and Jesus knows everything you've ever done. Now there's two sides to this and every one of us has got two sides. We've got the the, the side that does good things and we're really proud of some of the good things we do. But there's also the side of us that for some reason does bad things and we're embarrassed and ashamed quite often of the bad things that we've done. We're used to this idea that one day all of our bad deeds, all of our sins are going to be revealed. They're going to be on show for everybody to see and I can remember as a young Christian just starting out to follow Jesus, this idea that one day all of your sins is going to be, are going to be presented for the whole world to see as a way of encouraging people to uh, follow Jesus and to be born again and, and have our sins washed away. And, and that's true. One day everything will be revealed. But you know, it's not only the bad things. I, I remember, for example, one holiday, a friend and I were uh, we were away on holidays down by the beach and we got clowning around and we were clowning around to such an extent that we got into trouble with someone and this other person threatened to call the police on us and would have called the police except we managed to talk ourselves uh, out of that little situation and if I look, when I look back on that and remember that, I'm really embarrassed. In fact, I'm quite ashamed of that little episode and I only just told you uh, the surface of the incident. I'm really embarrassed about that and I want to keep that hidden except now that I've told everyone. But you know it's not only the bad things that God knows about, it's also the good things. 
And if you think about your life, I'm sure you can think of lots and lots of good things you do that nobody else ever knows about. You know, maybe there's been those times at work when you've stayed back late to help fix up someone else's mistake. Maybe there have been times when you've sat up all night with a sick baby, caring for them and cleaning up their mess. Nobody knows about that. Maybe now, at this stage in life, you're beginning to do the same thing for elderly parents. Sitting up watching elderly parents, maybe cleaning up their mess, doing things that you'd rather not do. No one else knows about it. You know, God knows about that. God sees all of those good things that you do for other people that are done, as it were, in secret, that nobody else knows about. God knows. God sees that. God knows your name and he knows all of those things that you do. But you know, the bad things that we've done don't need to define who we are. So often we're kind of controlled, if you like, because of the bad things that we've done. And there are many of us who are living the consequences of some action that's caused trouble for our lives. And so the rest of our lives has been shaped by this bad action. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. Our bad actions don't need to define who we are. You know, Jesus, in this little story that we've read from John chapter 4, offered this woman living water so that she would never be thirsty again, so that she would know the life that he gives. He wants to give you that living water as well. And that living water would be like life uh, gushing up from within us so that all of those bad things that we've done in the past don't need to shape our future. Instead, our future is shaped by the life that Jesus gives us. Jesus knows your name. He knows everything you've ever done. The bad things that you've done don't need to shape your future. But he also knows all of those good things that you've done that nobody else knows about. I remember hearing the story of a missionary who had given his life to go to the Philippines. And he'd begun a work there in the Philippines, working with street people and built up over many years uh, a wonderful ministry that uh, provided housing, provided food and shelter, it provided education, and it provided uh, work opportunities for people who had worked on the street. One day, he was home on holidays back in his home country, and the pastor of his church was speaking about this work that had uh, been uh, going on for many years in the Philippines, and he spoke of it as though somebody else had started that work, had done all of that work. And he, he mentioned two or three other people's names who had been there on a visit and, and uh, made it sound like it was their work that had done this, uh, that had founded this mission work. And I remember as I spoke to this missionary, he said to me very quietly, you know, it was me who started that work. It was me who planted that mission. And you know, while he wasn't 
wanting to make a fuss over it, while nobody else might have recognised that it was him who had done all of that work to build that mission up. God knows. God knows who did what. When God says he knows your name, he knows everything you've ever done, all those bad things you've done, and all those good things that you do that nobody else knows about, God knows. Well, Jesus knows your name. He knows everything you've ever done. There's another little story. This is the second thing very quickly that I want to look at. This comes from John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1 and 2, uh, Jesus is just beginning to gather his disciples. And at the end of John chapter 1, we read this little uh, encounter. Uh, starts at verse 43. It says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, Before I saw, you, uh, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree, before Philip called you. You see, Jesus knows your name, and that means not only that he knows everything you've ever done, but he knows also who you really are. He says of Nathaniel, a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. You know, Someone once said that we are not who we think we are. We're not who other people think we are. Instead, we are who we think other people think we are. You follow that? You see, we have all of these impressions of who we are and who other people are. And other people have impressions of who we are, but Jesus knows the truth. Jesus sees who we really are. And even before the creation of the world, Jesus says to Nathaniel, before Philip called you, I saw you. Before the creation of the world, Jesus knew who we really are. In all of us, there's a mixture of true and false. And Jesus wants to set us free from what's false in us. He says of Nathaniel, a true Israelite, that means a certain kind of person in whom is nothing false. There's no deceit. There's nothing there in Nathaniel that's false. Well, what's real in you? What's false in you? What is the impression you're trying to give to other people is it true or is it false Jesus knows the real you not the you that you boast about to other people you you know we we boast of all sorts of things and we want other people to have certain impressions of us but Jesus knows the real you so who is the real you 
Jesus knows, it says in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live. You see, Jesus knows that. We boast of such great things, but the reality is, as far as Jesus is concerned, without him, we're dead. We're nothing. And he knew that we needed to be rescued from not only this uh, sin and death, but also what's false in our lives. And Jesus came to rescue us, to give us true life, his life, so that we would be set free from what is false. Jesus knows your name. It means he knows everything about you, everything you've ever done. And it also means he knows who you really are. He wants to set you free from all that is false in your life. Here's the third thing also in John chapter 1. This again is the disciples coming to meet Jesus. This is John chapter 1, starting at verse 40. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John the Baptist had said about Jesus and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought uh, Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. You see, Jesus knows your name. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows who you really are, but he also knows who you will become. You see, in another passage, Jesus calls Peter a rock. Now, as you read the stories Uh, the early stories of Jesus and his disciples and all the things they did. It's hard to see Peter as a rock. But as you read through the New Testament into the book of Acts and read Peter's writings later on in the New Testament, you realize that he became the rock that Jesus had spoken about. He became the one that Jesus saw early on at their first meeting. Jesus knows what you can become. Jesus knows who you can become. You know, it's really important that we have people who believe in us and see in us something more than we see ourselves. There's stories of that throughout the Bible. For example, when God met Abraham way back in the Old Testament, Abraham's original name was Abram. And it means exalted father but God saw something more in Abram and he changed his name to Abraham which means the father of a multitude or many nations and so it came to be Abraham became uh, God's instrument to to uh, begin a whole new race of people the Israelites and he as such became the father of many nations because God saw in him what he could become. There's another story about Jacob. Jacob was a grandson of Abraham's. Jacob's name means supplanter or cheat. And he was. You read the story about Jacob and he was a cheat. But God saw something in him. God saw that he could become someone different to that. And so God eventually changed his name to Israel which means God strives. And it was this idea of God working with Jacob to 
uh, build this nation of Israel. God saw what he could become. And God sees what you can become. As uh, we first looked at Peter, Jesus knew what Peter could become. So God knows. God sees what you also could become. Now maybe you're living there already. Maybe you're already fulfilling that purpose and destiny that God has called you to. Maybe you haven't even thought about it yet. I want to tell you that Jesus knows your name and he knows what you can become. He knows the plans and the purposes that he has for you. He knows the potential that just takes his spirit living in you to, to uh, draw out that potential and fulfill it in you. And here's the good news. God is at work in you already to see that purpose come to pass. Now, the reason he's at work is because he loves you, because Jesus died on the cross and rose again for you, because he causes his spirit to live within you so that you can become the one that God knows you can become. Jesus knows your name. He knows everything you've ever done. He sees the good things that nobody else knows about. He knows who you really are. And he's come to set you free from what's false in your life. And he knows what you can become. And you can achieve that because God is already at work in you. Now, there's one more thing I want to leave with you before we finish this goes back to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, this time from chapter 49, just a couple of verses. It says this, Shout for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth, burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, this is the people of Israel said, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. Do you ever feel like that? as though God might have forgotten you. Here's God's answer. This is God speaking. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she might forget, I will not forget. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. You see, God is using an analogy here too explain something about himself. You and I both know that virtually impossible to think of a mother forgetting the baby that she's born, the baby that she's nursed. And if it's impossible for a mother to forget a baby that she's given birth to, how much more impossible is it for God to forget you? since he's engraved you on the palm of his hands. You know, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, we're told that his hands and his feet were pierced with the nails. And when he was raised again and appeared the first time to his disciples and they couldn't believe that he'd been raised from the dead, you know what he did? He showed them his hands. Look at my hands and see here the imprint of the nails. And you know what he was saying? Look at this, you're engraved in my hand. I've got your names written here in the imprint of the nails in my hands. There's no chance I'm ever gonna forget you. 
God knows your name. He knows everything you've ever done and all that good stuff that nobody else knows about, He knows. Jesus knows your name. He knows who you really are. And He wants to set you free from everything that's false. Jesus knows your name. And He knows who you can become. And He wants to see you fulfill that potential in Him. And He's so committed to you that He's got you engraved on the palms of His hands. So, where does that leave you and me? What does that mean for us? Well, maybe you feel as though all of your efforts have gone unnoticed. You do so much to try and help other people to serve in some way or other. And it seems like nobody sees. Jesus sees. Jesus sees and he knows. Maybe you've been living on false hope. Maybe you've been trying to present this false image to everyone and you need freedom from what is false. Maybe you're not fulfilling that potential that Jesus sees in you. Jesus knows what you can become. Well, have you responded to Jesus? He loves you. He wants to give you his life. He wants to live in your life by his spirit. He wants to give you that life that wells up to eternal life. Are you focused on Jesus? We've been speaking about focusing on Jesus. Well, are you focused on Jesus? He knows your name. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows who you really are. And he knows what you can become. You need to respond to Jesus. You need to ask him to take control of your life. You need to turn away from following your own way and begin to follow his way. I'm going to pray now and I'm going to invite you to pray as well. And you can respond to Jesus this way. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you know me and you love me. Thank you that you know all of those things that I do, both good and bad. Thank you that you know who I really am. And thank you that you know who I can become. Would you give me that life that wells up in me to eternal life? I give my life to you now. I thank you for your forgiveness. I want to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, why don't you send us a message via Facebook or YouTube? Let us know so that we can be praying for you. Trust in God. Receive his life. God bless. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you again. Trust you're doing well. You know, I was remembering through the week uh, a book that I read many years ago. I had to read this particular book when I first began my studies. It was called uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It was all about uh, 
how to work with people, how to get people onto your side and to, uh, to do the things you need them to do in a way that makes them feel good about doing it. And in that book, there's a whole chapter focused on the importance of knowing people's names. It makes the point several times through the chapter that for all of us, the sweetest sound that we can ever hear is the sound of our own name, someone using our name. When you know someone's name, you know something about them, you know something about who they are, and the sound of your name has encapsulated in it everything that there is about you. In the book, uh, the writer tells a story about a, a guy named Ken Nottingham. He used to work for General Motors and he tells the story of uh, going to lunch at the company cafeteria and he noticed that the woman serving in the cafeteria was always frowning and scowling and she'd uh, carefully measure out the ingredients for a sandwich and she'd put it together and uh, gruffly hand over the sandwich. But the next day when Ken came to get lunch, he noticed the woman's name tag. And uh, so he called her by name and said, good morning and called her by name. And uh, with that, she brightened up. And instead of measuring out the ingredients for his sandwich, exactly the same sandwich, she piled things on there and gave him much more than normal and did it with a smile and was happy to serve him. It's all because he used her name. Years and years ago, I remember my first overseas trip uh, it was all the way to Europe. It was a long trip in those days. The planes were a lot slower than they are today. And uh, it seemed to take forever to get there. And when I arrived there, I had no idea where I had to go. So uh, I got into a taxi. I gave the taxi driver the address and off he went. And he could have been taking me on a round the world tour for all I knew. We seemed to drive forever. Uh, no idea where we were going. And then we pull up outside a building and he says this is it and I said what's it and he says this is the address and I said are you sure yes he said this is the address so I paid for the ride and just as I was getting out somebody opened the front door to the building and stepped outside and saw me and said you must be Colin and with that I felt like I was home I'd arrived now, I didn't know that person and they didn't know me. They'd seen a photo of me and they knew my name. But it was good to hear my name called in a strange place to know that someone there knew who I was. The sound of your own name is the sweetest sound that you can hear. It's a sense of validity in, in uh, people knowing our name. It's, it gives us the sense of being worthwhile. Well, did you know that God knows your name? Did you know that? God knows your name. I want to read one verse for you from Isaiah chapter 43. This is verse 1. And it says this, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You know, that was written a long time ago and it was written specifically with the people of Israel in mind, but it was written for us 
And what he says to Israel, he's also saying to us. And it says there that he knows us by name, he calls us by name. And this is not just general knowledge. Like, you know the prime minister's name, but you don't know anything else about him, for example. General knowledge. This is not what this passage means. When, God, when it says that God calls us by name, it's referring to intimate knowledge of who we are. Jesus says, for example, that uh, God knows us intimately. He says, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Now, I can't count the hairs on my head. There's less there now than there used to be. But God knows every single one of them. That means he knows me intimately. The Apostle Paul in, in Ephesians says this, he says, God chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus. Even before the world was created, God knew you and he knew me. And he knew everything about you. He knew your name. He knew what you were going to be like. He knew everything about you. And even before the world was created, God chose you. You ever thought about that? God who knows every star by name. God who knows every plant in the forest. God who knows every animal that's ever lived on the earth. God who knows your name has chosen you. Think about that. You might be one of those people that feels like nobody's ever bothered to choose me. Who would bother choosing me? Well, God's chosen you. God knows your name and he's chosen you. In the book of Hebrews, we've been looking at this verse over the last few weeks. In chapter 12, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Do you know what that joy was that Jesus had set before him? It was you and me. It was knowing that you've been chosen in him, knowing that you are part of his family, knowing that you're going to be with him through eternity as you follow him. It's the idea that Jesus was doing what he was doing for you and for me. God knows your name. And God knows everything that there is about you. Well, what does that really mean? What does it mean when we say that God knows our name? I want to do something uh, that might be a little bit unusual. I want to look at three very short passages from the New Testament, from the book of John, actually. And I want to show you just a few things of what it means when we say that God knows your name. The first little passage I want to look at comes from John chapter 4. This is the story of Jesus meeting a woman who's come to a well to draw water from the well, obviously to bring water to the family or to, to water the animals or whatever. But Jesus, on a journey, resting beside a well, meets this woman and this woman uh, is a Samaritan woman. Now, there's one thing you need to know about Samaritans. Jesus being a Jew uh, and this woman being a Samaritan, in Jesus' day, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Now, of course, Jesus didn't hate anyone, but it was unusual for a Jew 
to speak to a Samaritan. But Jesus strikes up a conversation with this woman. And at one point in this little story, the woman said to him, Sir, Jesus had just offered this woman living water. Is speaking of eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to the well to draw water. Then Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come back. The woman replied, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is true. A little bit later on in the story, the woman goes back to the town and calls all of the people in the town to come out and meet Jesus. And it says later on in the story, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony when she said, he told me all the things I've ever done. Now, that's the first thing I want to say that about the fact that Jesus knows your name or God knows your name. He knows everything you've ever done. Do you ever think about that? When God knew you before the creation of the world and knew your name, he also knew everything you would ever do. And right now at this point in your life, God knows everything you've ever done. Jesus knows your name and Jesus knows everything you've ever done. Now there's two sides to this and Every one of us has got two sides. We've got the, the, the side that does good things and we're really proud of some of the good things we do. But there's also the side of us that for some reason does bad things and we're embarrassed and ashamed quite often of the bad things that we've done. We're used to this idea that one day all of our bad deeds, all of our sins are going to be revealed. They're going to be on show for everybody to see. And I can remember as a young Christian just starting out to follow Jesus, this idea that one day all of your sins is going to be, are going to be presented for the whole world to see as a way of encouraging people to uh, follow Jesus and to be born again and, and have our sins washed away. And, and that's true. One day everything will be revealed. But you know, it's not only the bad things. I, I remember, for example, one holiday, a friend and I were, uh, we were away on holidays down by the beach and we got clowning around and we were clowning around to such an extent that we got into trouble with someone and, and this other person threatened to call the police on us and would have called the police, except we managed to talk ourselves uh, out of that little situation. And if I look, when I look back on that and remember that, I'm really embarrassed. In fact, I'm quite ashamed of that little episode and I've only just told you uh, the surface of the incident. I'm really embarrassed about that and I want to keep that hidden, except now that I've told everyone. But you know, it's not only the bad things that God knows about, it's also the good things. And if you think about your life, I'm sure you can think of lots and lots of good things you do that nobody else ever knows about. You know, maybe there's been those times at work when you've stayed back late to help fix up someone else's mistake. 
Maybe there have been times when you've sat up all night with a sick baby, caring for them and cleaning up their mess. Nobody knows about that. Maybe now, at this stage in life, you're beginning to do the same thing for elderly parents. Sitting up watching elderly parents, maybe cleaning up their mess, doing things that you'd rather not do. No one else knows about it. You know, God knows about that. God sees all of those good things that you do for other people that are done as it were in secret that nobody else knows about. God knows. God sees that. God knows your name and he knows all of those things that you do. But you know, the bad things that we've done don't need to define who we are. So often we're kind of controlled, if you like, because of the bad things that we've done. And there are many of us who are living the consequences of some action that's caused trouble for our lives. And so the rest of our lives has been shaped by this bad action. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. Our bad actions don't need to define who we are. You know, Jesus, in this little story that we've read from John chapter 4, offered this woman living water so that she would never be thirsty again, so that she would know the life that he gives. He wants to give you that living water as well. And that living water would be like life uh, gushing up from within us so that all of those bad things that we've done in the past don't need to shape our future. Instead, our future is shaped by the life that Jesus gives us. Jesus knows your name. He knows everything you've ever done. The bad things that you've done don't need to shape your future. But he also knows all of those good things that you've done that nobody else knows about. I remember hearing the story of a missionary who had given his life to go to the Philippines. And he began a work there in the Philippines, working with street people and built up over many years a wonderful ministry that provided housing, provided food and shelter. It provided education and it provided work opportunities for people who had worked on the street. One day he was home on holidays back in his home country and the pastor of his church was speaking about this work that had been going on for many years in the Philippines and he spoke of it as though somebody else had started that work, had done all of that work. And he, he mentioned two or three other people's names who had been there on a visit and, and uh, made it sound like it was their work that had done this, uh, that had founded this mission work. And I remember as I spoke to this missionary, he said to me very quietly, you know, it was me who started that work. It was me who planted that mission. And you know, while he wasn't wanting to make a fuss over it, while nobody else might have recognized that it was him who had done all of that work to build that mission up, God knows. God knows who did what. When God says he knows your name, he knows everything you've ever done. 
all those bad things you've done and all those good things that you do that nobody else knows about. God knows. Well, Jesus knows your name. He knows everything you've ever done. There's another little story. This is the second thing very quickly that I want to look at. This comes from John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1 and 2, uh, Jesus is just beginning to gather his disciples. And at the end of John chapter 1, we read this little uh, encounter. Uh, starts at verse 43. It says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, Before I saw you, uh, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. You see, Jesus knows your name and that means not only that he knows everything you've ever done, but he knows also who you really are. He says of Nathaniel, a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. You know, someone once said that we are not who we think we are. We're not who other people think we are. Instead, we are who we think other people think we are. You follow that? You see, we have all of these impressions of who we are and who other people are. And other people have impressions of who we are, but Jesus knows the truth. Jesus sees who we really are. And even before the creation of the world, Jesus says to Nathaniel, before Philip called you, I saw you. Before the creation of the world, Jesus knew who we really are. In all of us, there's a mixture of true and false. A and Jesus wants to set us free from what's false in us. He says of Nathaniel, a true Israelite, that means a certain kind of person in whom is nothing false. There's no deceit. There's nothing there in Nathaniel that's false. Well, what's real in you? What's false in you? What is the impression you're trying to give to other people? Is it true or is it false? Jesus knows the real you, not the you that you boast about to other people. You, you know, we, we boast of all sorts of things and we want other people to have certain impressions of us, but Jesus knows the real you. So, who is the real you? Jesus knows. It says in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live. You see, Jesus knows that. We boast of such great things, but the reality is, as far as Jesus is concerned, without him we're dead. 
We're nothing. And he knew that we needed to be rescued from not only this uh, sin and death, but also what's false in our lives. And Jesus came to rescue us, to give us true life, his life, so that we would be set free from what is false. Jesus knows your name. It means he knows everything about you, everything you've ever done. And it also means he knows who you really are. He wants to set you free from all that is false in your life. Here's the third thing also in John chapter 1. This again is the disciples coming to meet Jesus. This is John chapter 1 starting at verse 40. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John the Baptist had said about Jesus and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought uh, Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. You see, Jesus knows your name. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows who you really are, but he also knows who you will become. You see, in another passage, Jesus calls Peter a rock. Now, as you read the stories, uh, the early stories of Jesus and his disciples and all the things they did, it's hard to see Peter as a rock. But as you read through the New Testament into the book of Acts and read Peter's writings later on in the New Testament, you realize that he became the rock that Jesus had spoken about. He became the one that Jesus saw early on at their first meeting. Jesus knows what you can become. Jesus knows who you can become. You know, it's really important that we have people who believe in us and see in us something more than we see ourselves. There's stories of that throughout the Bible. For example, when God met Abraham way back in the Old Testament, Abraham's original name was Abram and it means exalted father. But God saw something more in Abram and he changed his name to Abraham which means the father of a multitude or many nations. And so it came to be. Abraham became uh, God's instrument to, to uh, begin a whole new race of people, the Israelites. And he, as such, became the father of many nations because God saw in him what he could become. There's another story about Jacob. Jacob was a grandson of Abraham's. Jacob's name means supplanter or cheat. And he was. You read the story about Jacob and he was a cheat. But God saw something in him. God saw that he could become someone different to that. And so God eventually changed his name to Israel, which means God strives. And it was th this idea of God working with Jacob to uh, build this nation of Israel. God saw what he could become. And God sees what you can become. As uh, we first looked at Peter, Jesus knew what Peter could become. So God knows. God sees what you also could become.
Now maybe you're living there already. Maybe you're already fulfilling that purpose and destiny that God has called you to. Maybe you haven't even thought about it yet. I want to tell you that Jesus knows your name and he knows what you can become. He knows the plans and the purposes that he has for you. He knows the potential that just takes his spirit living in you to, to uh, draw out that potential and fulfill it in you. And, and here's the good news. God is at work in you already to see that purpose come to pass. Now, the reason he's at work is because he loves you, because Jesus died on the cross and rose again for you because he causes his spirit to live within you so that you can become the one that God knows you can become. Jesus knows your name. He knows everything you've ever done. He sees the good things that nobody else knows about. He knows who you really are and he's come to set you free from what's false in your life and he knows what you can become and you can achieve that because God is already at work in you now there's one more thing I want to leave with you before we finish this goes back to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament this time from chapter 49 just a couple of verses it says this shout for joy O heavens rejoice O earth burst into song O mountains for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, this is the people of Israel said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Do you ever feel like that? As though God might have forgotten you? Here's God's answer. This is God speaking. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she might forget, I will not forget. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. You see, God is using an analogy here to explain something about himself. You and I both know that virtually impossible to think of a mother forgetting the baby that she's born, the baby that she's nursed. And if it's impossible for a mother to forget, a baby that she's given birth to, how much more impossible is it for God to forget you since he's engraved you on the palm of his hands? You know, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, we're told that his hands and his feet were pierced with the nails. And when he was raised again and appeared the first time to his disciples and they couldn't believe that he'd been raised from the dead, you know what he did? He showed them his hands. Look at my hands and see here the imprint of the nails. And you know what he was saying? Look at this. You're engraved in my hand. I've got your names written here in the imprint of the nails in my hands. There's no chance I'm ever going to forget you. God knows your name. He knows everything you've ever done and all that good stuff that nobody else knows about. He knows. Jesus knows your name. He knows who you really are. And he wants to set you free from everything that's false. Jesus knows your name. 
And he knows who you can become. And he wants to see you fulfill that potential in him. And he's so committed to you that he's got you engraved on the palms of his hands. So, where does that leave you and me? What does that mean for us? Well, maybe you feel as though all of your efforts have gone unnoticed. You do so much to try and help other people to serve in some way or other. And it seems like nobody sees. Jesus sees. Jesus sees and he knows. Maybe you've been living on false hope. Maybe you've been trying to present this false image to everyone and you need freedom from what is false. Maybe you're not fulfilling that potential that Jesus sees in you. Jesus knows what you can become. Well, have you responded to Jesus? He loves you. He wants to give you his life. He wants to live in your life by his spirit. He wants to give you that life that wells up to eternal life. Are you focused on Jesus? We've been speaking about focusing on Jesus. Well, are you focused on Jesus? He knows your name. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows who you really are and he knows what you can become. You need to respond to Jesus. You need to ask him to take control of your life. You need to turn away from following your own way and begin to follow his way. I'm going to pray now and I'm going to invite you to pray as well. And you can respond to Jesus this way. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you know me and you love me. Thank you that you know all of those things that I do, both good and bad. Thank you that you know who I really am. And thank you that you know who I can become. Would you give me that life that wells up in me to eternal life? I give my life to you now. I thank you for your forgiveness. I want to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, why don't you send us a message via Facebook or YouTube. Let us know so that we can be praying for you. Trust in God. Receive his life. God bless.